Welcome to the Always Evolving Podcast. This is a podcast about living an awake, aware, conscious life. It's about recognizing that our lives are a product of the choices that we make, and the ripple effects of those choices impact our families, our communities, and the world. So let's choose wisely. Basically, if it helps to evolve us as individuals, then we will likely cover it at some point on this podcast. Because, after all, we are always evolving, and in all ways. I'm your host, Erica Boucher. I just want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Oh, you're very welcome. So let me start by introducing you. Dr. Judith Orloff is the author of The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, which teaches readers how sensitive people can thrive in an insensitive world. Dr. Orloff is a psychiatrist, an empath, and intuitive healer, and is on the UCLA Psychiatric Clinical Faculty. She synthesizes the pearls of traditional medicine with cutting-edge knowledge of intuition, energy, and spirituality. Dr. Orloff also specializes in treating empaths and highly sensitive people in her private practice. She passionately believes that the future of medicine involves integrating all this wisdom to achieve total wellness. Dr. Orloff, let me tell you, I have had your book, The Empath's Survival Guide, on my nightstand for months now. It's a beautiful book. Oh, thank you so much. I put all my heart and my knowledge into it. I can tell. I feel that. What was the motivation for writing this book? Well, I'm an empath, and I have been since I've been a little girl. Um, And I never had the support as a child with these abilities. I was always told, oh, dear, you know, get a thicker skin. Or, you know, my parents made me feel like there was something wrong with me for being overly sensitive. And so I grew up, you know, as an only child, and my parents were both physicians, and I come from a family of 25 physicians very scientifically oriented, and I was a little girl who felt things and knew things and was very intuitively tuned in, and I didn't get the the kind of support I could have really used at that time, and so then as I kind of developed and I went to medical school and I got my MD and, you know, I, I got a very strong background in traditional science, you know, I saw so clearly that anything to do with empaths was not being handled properly. You know, an empath is an emotional sponge who is very open, very intuitive, very loving, but tends to take on the stress of the world. And so they can suffer a lot. They can have low energy. They can go on sensory overload a lot. Um, they can feel overwhelmed, like they can't handle the world, and you know, just very fatigued and tired. And so... You know, I saw that traditional medicine was not treating empaths well, and in fact, they, all they do is medicate them, give them an antidepressant or anti-anxiety pill, and that's about it. So I wanted to write this book to give all your beautiful empaths out there strategies to cope with your sensitivities, your intuition, and all the you know, beautiful gifts of being an empath, and also learn to deal with the challenges of sensory overload. 
So can you say more about the gifts of being an empath? Because when people come to me, they seem very clear. They recognize the challenges, the overwhelm that you talk about, the sensitivities that you talk about. So can you say more about the gifts that come with being an empath? Yes. Um, The final chapter of the book is devoted to that, the gifts of being an empath, because it's so important that you just don't focus on the challenges. Everything has challenges. But the gifts of being an empath are many. It's You can have deep intuition, deep connection to people, um, deep caring and compassion for the earth, for others. You know, you make wonderful lovers and and companions and friends because you can connect to people. You know, you don't have a hard time. You know, you're able to feel into them and you're able to understand others. And that's a beautiful gift. And many empaths are going into the healthcare professions or, you know, are yoga teachers or some kind of healing work, you know, to be able to express, you know, their deep sensitivities and how to use those to help other sensitive people as I know a lot of people with yoga practice and a yoga teacher training have complained to me that they take on the energy of the other people in the room when they're doing the practice. And so it's important to learn how not to do that. You know, as a, as a physician and as an empath myself, my lifelong devotion has been learning how to, you know, really have good time management, not take on other people's stress, not be codependent with others, not overgive, so that I can be the intuitive, open, sensitive, passionate, spontaneous person that I am without being hypervigilant all the time and check, you know, empaths check out the world all the time to make sure things are safe. And I also want to say in, um, there's a chapter in the book on empaths intuition and extraordinary perceptions because empaths perceive the world in such a rich and multi-layered way and they're able to kind of witness the miraculous nature of life and that keeps on deepening. And I go through different kinds of empaths, like animal empaths, empaths that have a particular connection to animals, or earth empaths that have deep, deep connections to the earth and can feel the earth's changes, or telepathic empaths, those that can actually hear what other people are thinking and respond to that. You know, if it gives you more information about people, certainly, you know, I'm a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist, so being an empath and being intuitive only helps me with my patients because it allows me to see them with a capital S. And so there's animal empaths, earth empaths, plant empaths, those with the green thumb. Um, And then so there are so many outlets for all these gifts that people need to know about. And I'm glad you asked me that question. Thank you. Well, there's so much here. There's like six questions I want to ask you at one time. (laughs) So let me start. Let me kind of break it down a little bit. I noticed in your book you make a distinction between an empath and a highly sensitive person. Can you say more about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Highly sensitive people are very sensitive to light, sound, smells, talking, or any kind of sensory input. And they don't like scratchy clothes, and they usually like small groups because they tend to get overwhelmed on a sensory level. 
So it's mainly sensory phenomena that they experience. And empath is a little bit more than that. It's all of those qualities, plus we have a very developed intuition and tend to absorb other people's emotions and physical symptoms into our own bodies. I don't think highly sensitive people necessarily have that intuitive expansion going on. You know, not usually. And so, and they don't usually absorb other people's energy. It's more they just feel things too much, you know, in, in terms of it hurting them. And, you know, it's important to look at everything in terms of a spectrum, you know, the empathic spectrum, where highly sensitive people are way up on the spectrum and empaths are even higher. And then in the middle of the spectrum, there are people with regular empathy, you know, the beautiful empathy where you feel somebody else's pain or joy, but you don't take it on. It's just you feel it and you can appreciate it. And then on the lower end of the spectrum are the narcissists and the psychopaths who have empathy deficient disorder, no empathy. So, And there's a chapter in the book on the toxic attraction between narcissists and empaths, which really needs to be looked at by empaths so they don't get into these very difficult, draining relationships. So can you say a little bit more about that? So is the narcissist attracted to the empath and vice versa? Is there like an organic attraction that happens there? Totally. Yeah. And of course, you know, from you can understand why a narcissist would be attracted to an empath. An empath is giving, he or she listens, you know, cares, wants to help, wants to do. Um, and so, yeah, narcissists love empaths. Yes, that's everything's all about them. Narcissists are me, 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 self-absorbed. They can be funny, charming, you know, just delightful people until you get into the intimate level with them. Once you get into the intimacy universe, you know, it's all over because they don't have empathy. This is what's so hard for many of my empath patients to get is that narcissists don't really care about what you're feeling. And that's hard to grasp for an empath because they're so totally the opposite. Right. <laughs> and, and, and narcissists put on a false front in the beginning. And read about this. I, I, I outline the dynamics in the chapter so you can watch out for it because if you don't know what's going on, you could be caught in it. And especially if you've had narcissistic parents, narcissistic daddy, you know, who you want to keep winning his love so you keep attracting men or women who are narcissists, you know, with an effort to try and heal the parental relationship. Now, that's, that's kind of on a subliminal level. Right. But it never works. No, People try it all the time. To suffer. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't do that. That isn't how you heal that pattern. So if, if you're, you know, an empath and you want to be in an intimate relationship, read the chapter on empaths and love because it would seem natural that if you could find somebody who's a narcissist and, they would heal along with you, that that would heal the pattern. But narcissists don't heal in that way. You know, they don't, like when I do therapy with, a, with one member of a couple who's a narcissist, it doesn't get anywhere because they always blame you. You know, they say, you know, she's the problem, not me. I'm here just for her. So, you know, you can't get anywhere with that. Interesting. So, well, let's talk about the science behind this because I – you talk about coming from a family of, of doctors and scientists, and 
there are a lot of people out there that are going to want to know, is, is, is there something to this or is this just a fancy name that we're putting on something to make it sound better? <laughs> yeah. So what, what is the science behind this? Well, there's a section on the book on the science behind empaths and empathy, and there are many different elements to it. I mean, the first one, which is so fascinating, is the mirror neuron system, the compassion neurons in the brain that, you know, with, with regular people, you know, when you, you see your spouse get hurt, the mirror neurons light up on brain scans because you, you kind of rally with all the compassion you have because you kind of feel their pain. And that's just a neurological phenomenon that's been documented. And with empaths, it's thought that they have a hyperactive mirror neuron system meaning they respond over time with all their compassion, not just to their spouses, but to everybody, every living creature. They can feel the pain of an ant being crushed, you know, kind of thing, because it's so intense. So that's one aspect of it. And then another aspect of it has to do with dopamine, which is really interesting. Dopamine is the pleasure hormone. And it's thought that extroverts, um, or people who like to be refueled at parties or with people, they keep needing these dopamine rushes that they get from those kind of interactions. You know, the high energy, uh, going to a stadium, going to a football game, high dopamine rushes. And it's thought that empaths need much less dopamine to feel satisfied and to feel pleasure. So they could go, an empath can read, you know, during the afternoon and get enough dopamine. They don't need that big blast of dopamine. You know, not to say one is better than the other, but just on a biochemical level, there's a difference in people. Well, we get pleasure from simple things. You know, we don't get pleasure from being around 200 people, you know, mowing about at a party. You know, it just isn't typical. Though, you know, as I write about, some empaths are extroverted empaths, and they tend to like those things a little bit more However, they always need their alone time. You know, empaths need alone time to replenish. So the dopamine is really an important kind of element to look at. And then, you know, there's the whole phenomenon of emotional contagion, which has been proven, where like in a hospital ward, if one baby starts crying, the rest of them start crying. Or if you're in an office environment, if one person is anxious and negative, that sweeps through the office environment like a virus. And the, the same is true with uh, positive emotions. If someone is really happy and grateful and excited, that sweeps over. You know, it's, it's a group phenomena, a swarm phenomena. And so empaths are super receptive to that. You know, if there's one negative energy vampire who's spewing, you know, negativity, the empath really can be affected by that. And so part of the strategies I present in the book are how not to be so affected by that and how to really ground center and set boundaries and learn how to really protect your energy field and work with energy in a different way other than just being blasted by what other people do. You know, because that's a kind of a dangerous position for an empath. You want to really own the moment and learn strategies like meditation, breathing, taking baths, getting in water, setting boundaries, putting up shields, saying mantras, and working with your own emotional issues 
so you don't attract what you haven't worked out yourself. You see, I'm going through this really quickly with you, but these are all points I talk about in the book that people could read about. Yeah, and I completely agree. I can tell when I'm not taking care of myself because I do start to absorb other people's energy more readily. So if I'm not in a regular yoga practice or meditating or journaling or all of the things that I do to take care of myself, spending time in nature, I will start to feel myself becoming overwhelmed by things and anxious and all those to talk about. So I agree. I think it's really important to know how to practice self-care, and that's probably going to be a little different for everybody, but I think probably across the board we can say breathing, yoga, meditation, spending time in nature, eating good grounding foods, not a lot of caffeine, not a lot of sugars, things like that, and surrounding Yeah, it's true, and and learning that no is a complete sentence, that you could say no to people and feel good about it. Yeah, I think that's a big one for a lot of us, especially women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's very true. However, you have to say it with kindness. You have to get used to saying it because if you get in the habit, I mean, I say it all the time, so I'm used to it, you know, because I have to. Cause otherwise, I'll get physical symptoms. As I'm a physical empath, and so if I overdo, I'll start getting, you know, symptoms, and I, I don't like that. So that's my body giving me feedback. And like last night, I had a dream that I was doing too much. I had a dream. It was really awful where I was about to get a massage and all these people started showing up and I couldn't get my massage. And then the time ran out and I never got my massage because I was so attending to other things that needed to be done. And so first thing today, I canceled a bunch of stuff today. Oh, I'm glad I made the cut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I just canceled a bunch of stuff because I was, no, this is, it was a message. You know, it's not, as an empath, you have to listen to these kind of messages. As if I just kept on doing what I was doing, it wouldn't be good for me physically, emotionally, or spiritually. So I've learned how to kind of take those cues. And in terms of self-care, as you were mentioning, there's a part of me, of course, that doesn't want to cancel anything. I had this one appointment at the DMV that I was dreading, but I, I have to do it. You know, I'm going to have to do it later, but I just can't do it today because it's t- going to take too much out of me. You see, so there's a part of me that doesn't want to cancel anything ever because I just want to get it done with. Right, but, right. But that's not the right attitude to have if you're an empath because yeah. it's just you'll pay the price. I can feel... When I go over that red line with my energy level and I'm just doing too much and I get signs, I get dreams, I get body sensations and everyone who's listening who is an empath, listen to the signs that you get because the mind is going to want to override those signs. The mind is when my mind said, oh, just do it. You know, you could just get through all of it. You know, plus I have to finish editing a book, you know, which never, never in my mind should be equating with rushing. Rushing and books and writing books, no. Writing books are beautiful and relaxing and deep and require the attention that has nothing to do with the rushing energy. So anyways, that's just my process on how I dealt with my my warning of overload last night. I can relate to that completely. I, you know, 
pretty quickly I can tell if things are out of balance. And I can't stay out of balance for very long or things really start to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sit back and regroup and get quiet and create space and get some clarity. And so I definitely relate. Yeah, exactly. And for everyone listening, now really take this to heart. If this is the nitty-gritty of everyday life, you know, and how it works for an empath. And you'll get signs and signals that you may be starting to go on overload. And if you, if you nip it in the bud, it's so much better than waiting two weeks and then being so anxious or, you know, never wanting to go out of the house again, you know, because you're so overloaded. Right. And I think everything we're talking about here is relevant to everybody, empath or not, because everybody is maybe even more sensitive than they might realize. And which is probably evidenced by the the rates of depression and anxiety and insomnia and alcoholism and drug abuse. If you look at the statistics, they're really all of them are at an all time high. And so I think a lot more people are sensitive to the world around them than they are even admitting to themselves. We're calling it being an empath. I think maybe a lot of people fall onto that spectrum that don't realize it. Would you say everyone is somewhere on that spectrum? Like you said, one extreme is narcissism. The other extreme is extreme, you know, being an extreme empath. Everybody's somewhere in there on that spectrum? Yeah. Yeah, they have some degree of empathy or, you know, another, or else they don't have any, like narcissists, which is so hard to grasp for empaths. Right. Because when an empath sees a narcissist, let's say, you know, just in the romantic area, if you, if you haven't met someone for a while that you like, and suddenly this, I'll just say it's a man, it could be a woman, this fellow comes along, and he's so charming, you know, he's so seemingly caring, you know, doting, you have a great time with him, you have, you know, if you have sex with him, you have great sex with him, so all the key elements are, are there, you know, but that's only a false front, because the minute you get more intimate with him, he will become cold, withholding, punishing, and it will be a nightmare for you. And so I just wanted to present how it could look in the beginning versus how it actually turns out. Yeah. So that's why it's so confusing. And I've worked with so many empaths to get out of relationships with narcissists. And it sometimes takes years. You know, it's really hard because the minute you leave, they're so intuitive. They know exactly what to say or what to do to reel you back in. You know, so I just, it's a warning. I always talk to empaths about this. You know, just go to the chapter on empaths and love and the empath survival guide. Just read it and memorize the signs of a narcissist and really try and get that how they present in the beginning is not their true selves. Mm-hmm. That's really important to get. Yeah, that's a really, really good thing to point out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... What advice do you have for somebody who is living with or in a relationship with an empath? Let's assume this is a healthy person, not a narcissist, but somebody yeah. who's in a relationship with an empath or living with them, what can you say to them about how to support them or how to be in relationship with them? Yeah, great question. Um, authentic communication is so important. Like as an empath, you know, I've been in a relationship, a live-in relationship, We've been together almost five years, and the secret for me is to be able to spit out my needs, you know, rather than try and pretend to be okay with something when I'm not. 
So it's important for me to say, like this morning, you know, I said to my partner, I don't really have much time to socialize with you this morning. So, and he said, that's fine. You know, but to be able to say that instead of trying to people please and, oh, what do you want? Do you want breakfast? You know, how are you doing? You know, all that. No time for that. So to be able to say that to your partner, you know, or be able to say, you know, I need my alone time. I'm sorry I can't go out tonight. You know, or maybe I need to sleep alone tonight because I need my own dream time space or my own bed space. You know, which you know takes some doing with some partners because they don't get it. It's, people are programmed to sleep together. You know, they say that's how, what couples do, and it's not. It doesn't have to be. It's a lot of empaths don't like to do that. Or, you know, I do it a few times a week where I sleep alone. It just depends. There's no rules, but sometimes I just need all those hours alone with my dream time because I'm a dream empath. So, you know, it's just about having honest conversations with your partner and letting him or her know they haven't done anything wrong and making them your champion for supporting your needs. So I think that's number one. Now, really ask your partner about his or her needs and maybe they're different than yours. They probably are if the other person isn't an empath. But, you know, ask and honor, and then you can have a successful relationship. But if empaths hold it in, I mean, I know some empaths who, you know, or my patients who tell me they're stuck in bed with their partner, and their partner likes to cuddle all night long, and they call it the snuggle hold, and they hate it, and they want to get out, and they want their own space, but they're afraid to talk to their partner about it, but eventually they do. And, you know, so you don't want to sit there tortured in bed. That's just one example. But for, with too much closeness that you're not into. So you, <laughs> you, they're kind of sensitive topics, but you've got to bring them up. So if you're in a relationship with an empath, it's probably wise to not take it personally if they need their space, they need their alone time, they're not feeling super sociable. Because I have, I have those days where, uh, you know, and I don't think I'm on the extreme end of the spectrum, but I have those days where I just really am not feeling sociable and really prefer to stay home and stay quiet and take it easy and kind of just go into self-care mode. And so it's, I think it's important for your partner to understand that and be able to say, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll go ahead and go out without you or let's modify our plans if we need to so that you don't feel pressured into putting yourself into a situation or an environment that you know instinctively isn't going to be good for you. Right, exactly. Or if you, you know, do go to a social situation, put a time limit on it. And that's one of the things I suggest in the book, where I can last maybe two hours at a, in a social gathering, two, maybe, maybe three, but no more. I'm done. I want to go home. And it's not because I don't like the people. It's that I'm just done energetically. And so I tell people that, and I'll either take an Uber or whatever, or my partner will take me home or you know, whatever that, that is, but I won't stay and torture myself for a five-hour social evening if I'm not in the mood for it. And it's not just being picky or princessy. It's that I'm really done. I'm really tired, and I want to go home and take my bath. I can relate to that as well. I, I have a, I have a limit as well, and when I've reached it, it's just I have to go, and I'm ready to go now. 
So. Yeah, exactly. But to give everyone permission who's listening to do that as well, you do it in a really nice way. And you, but you have to educate your friends. You have to educate your you know, your partner and just say, this is just how I am. It's not that I don't love you. It's that, you know, I, I this is just my makeup. And this empowers an empath to be able to do this, to not feel like you're neurotic or crazy or not entitled to express your needs, you know, and... Even if someone says, "Oh, you're so sensitive," you know they, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't understand. But that's not up to you. What's up to you is, is how you empower yourself by honoring your needs, and just listen, listen, listen to your intuition. You know, okay really stay in touch with it. Yeah, if someone says to you, you're so sensitive, it's okay to just shrug and say, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so and non-defensive. Just say, yeah, yeah. maybe. Exactly. You don't want to get into it with them. You know, if it, if it's you know, if you're dating somebody, you know, it's really good to you know put out little feelers and say, you know, I really need a lot of alone time, and see how the person reacts to that. They say, oh, that's so great. You know, all right, move forward. But if they say, oh, really? You know, yeah, what's or, that about? <laughs> yeah, what's that about? Then no, <laughs> you don't want to go towards that probably. There's too much of an uphill battle with that. Right. So I have a question for you. I remember somebody stopping me after a yoga class to ask me about things he could do to protect himself and clear himself. He was, I guess you call it a physical empath. He was telling me how he could witness somebody getting hurt and then he would start to have symptoms in his body. And specifically, I, I feel like he told me he saw somebody fall roller skating or something and they broke their hip or something and he started having hip issues and wanted to know what he could do for himself so for somebody who has taken on so we've talked about what we do to avoid taking on other people's energies and how to protect ourselves but let's say it's happened and we've taken it on what do we do at that point yeah well the first thing if you think you're a physical empath there's a self-assessment test you can take in the book, Am I a Physical Empath? You know, have I ever sat next to someone in pain and started feeling it too? Do I get physically ill in crowds? Have I been called a hypochondriac but know my symptoms are real? Do I react to other people's stress by developing a physical symptom in my own body? So those are just a few of the, the questions that you can ask yourself. And then in terms of what to do about it, I have 14 strategies to combat toxic energy so you don't breathe it in, you don't take it in. And the first thing, people have to train themselves to ask yourself, is the symptom or emotion mine or somebody else's? I mean, that's a key question if you're an empath, to always ask yourself that. And then if you notice that it's someone else's, I mean, the first thing you can do is step away from what's disturbing you if there's a actual person there um, and limit the physical contact you have with somebody because that transfers energy and just know that hugs are a choice. You don't have to hug someone, you know, unless you want to. And then you, he could uh, just go detox in water. You know, that's really beautiful. He could visualize cutting a cord between himself and the person so that he is not taking on that pain or whatever, you see someone fall on a roller skate, to be able to visualize a cord between him and the roller skater. It's 
snip, snip, then the cord recoils so that it's not in his energy body anymore. And spend some time meditating so that you could center yourself in your own energy rather than somebody else's energy. And also to bless people, wish them well. There's so much suffering going on on Earth, you know, the Earth. And, to, you know, if you feel, see all the suffering on the news or you see someone suffering, just send them a blessing. That's so much, you know, more efficient than all the other stuff of taking it on. You know, if you actually want to do something good for them, send them a blessing. And if you've noticed, if I notice I pick up a physical symptom, I'll just start deep breathing because the breath circulates the energy. And I'll just breathe it out. And if it feels like it's lodged in part of my body, I'll just put my attention very lightly on that part, like if it's in the vertebrae or if it's in my stomach. And I'll use the breath to kind of move it out the vertebrae and out the spaces between, especially the lumbar vertebrae. Breathe it out, and the breath takes the energy, and it expels it. So it's a form of breath work that you use to move the, the symptom, wherever it's lodged in your body, out through the spaces between your spine. Yeah, breath work is so powerful. Such a great way to clear energy, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but they're all skills. I want to emphasize to everybody, you know, you can teach skills in your classes, you know, to help people, you know, and it's, if you're an empath, you need a lot of skills. You need a big skill set in order to handle situations. I have a section on empaths and traveling, empaths and love. You know, you, have, you know, I cut it, break it down in the book to very practical situations and what to do in them. It's very encompassing. It, def- it definitely covers a lot of ground, which I love about it. Yeah. So I've had people... I remember one woman I saw, she had a booth at a, a yoga conference or something, and when I walked up, I noticed she had a book and she had a teacher training, and she was doing very similar work to me. And so I said, wow, we're doing very similar work to each other. And she said, oh, what's the name of your business? And I said, Empath Yoga. And she kind of like recoiled and made a funny face, and I said, why? What's the matter? And she said, oh, Empath, like, you don't want to do that. Like, you... That's bad. You don't want to take on other people's energies. And it was such an interesting reaction that she had because over the years, I've had people very specifically respond to the fact that it's called empath yoga, very attracted to the fact that this is, you know, supporting empathy, basically. So what do you have to say to people that feel like, you know what, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be that, I don't want to take on other people's stuff, I'm just going to shut that part of myself down. I'm going to put up a wall of protection so that I don't have to take that on. What would you say to somebody that says that to you? Um, I would just say, fine, God bless you. That's how you want to handle your life. I don't think it's a great idea, but if that's what they want to do, so be it. I don't ever force anyone to do anything right is that what you mean well i guess i'm wondering what is what do we lose if we shut ourselves off in that way yeah oh you lose so much because if you have a general shield up for everything then you're going to not be able to connect to people as deeply you know you're not going to be able to feel the leaves you know the energy of the leaves and the you know the earth and the power of the universe and 
you know, the, the many layers of spirituality that you can feel in meditation. I mean, you're cutting off everything. So you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. So, I mean, it sounds pretty dismal to me, but I know sometimes people get desperate and they relate that way. People do what they are doing the best they can. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I know there's a lot of people that are going to get a lot out of this. And I definitely recommend the book, The Empath Survival Guide. And for those of you who want to know more about Dr. Orloff's work, you can find her at www.drjudithorloff.com. And you have an empath support newsletter. I do, and you could sign up for it at drjudithorloff.com. And my workshop information is, is there and all kinds of empath resources. And I also have an a empath support community on Facebook with over 10,000 empaths in it. So <laughs> there's a lot of places to go to for support. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Always Evolving. Please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think might appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, let me know by giving me a five-star rating and help our ranking so we can reach more people who might be inspired by our message. Until next time, remember, our lives are a product of the choices that we make. Choose wisely.